Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. In today's episode, Mitch Light joins us as we will talk Vanderbilt football. Mitch and I sat next to each other for part of Friday night's opening practice of fall camp, so we will discuss some of what we saw in that. And with that, we'll go right to Mitch and begin the show. Mitch Light joins us from The Athletic. Mitch was with me on Friday night as we got to watch practice, and we have to watch our words given the guidelines that Vanderbilt has put down. But Mitch, welcome to the program today. I was looking forward to discussing what we saw in Friday night's practice uh, welcome to uh, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a couple of weeks, but uh, hope you're doing well, and I'm looking forward to talking football with you again this year. Yeah, good to talk to you, Chris. And uh, as typical when I go to practice, I don't watch as much practice as I ever plan on watching. I just talk to people. So um, that's kind of know. how it goes in the media, right? Yeah. Well, it's like you know, a lot of people I hadn't seen in a while, and in the in-person practice, and I don't really not being the sideline reporter anymore. I don't really have as the need to go to practice, but I definitely went out because it was the first one. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go periodically. Um, it's, it's just good to watch uh, football in, in person. And, you know, it, I, at least they are um, letting media go to practice. We, we have uh, at The Athletic in our, our college football Slack channel, you, a lot of the uh, most of the writers are just bemoaning the fact that, you know, everyone's glad football's back and everything. But the, the practice limitations, not just in the SEC around the country are, are well, we know how college coaches are. I will give them this, right? I'm not crazy about the rules we have to engage with on a day-to-day basis, but the thing I think they are going to let us do is write things up at the end of practice. In other words, when fall camp is over, I can say, here's how I think the backfield will shake out this year, and that will be based on observations that I've had to pin up for basically probably three weeks at that point. So at least you get that. But in the day-to-day where fans want something just every minute. I mean, I promise you, you know this. People used to just wait and, and you'd get home from practice and you're writing your stuff up and like, well, when's it going to come? I'm like, guys, I just got home five minutes ago. Can I have a minute to type it up? And I say that in good fun, but the point is there is this insatiable appetite for college football and especially in the SEC. And, and I'm not, again, I don't mean to be critical. They have their own reasons, but I do think at a time where I think that program needs all the publicity and excitement that it can build. That is one thing about it I do question a little bit is is sort of the wetting the appetite part for fans who have been suffering following the program for a while has to wait a little bit longer. And sometimes I wonder, again, they've got their goals and their reasons, and I'm not saying they're not valid. But from a fan standpoint, I do regret what they're doing there just a bit. Yeah, and, you know. Again, like you said, it's they've got their reasons. And uh, I was talking to Joe Rex wrote about this because he covered Michigan State for years. And, you know, Tom Izzo was had a a policy of you can go to practice, practice is open, but you just can't say anything. You know, it's like the media is like you can't report what you see here and stuff. And he said the one time there was a huge fight at practice, like one guy had like a black eye or something like that. And so after practice, what they did was I guess they, the players are available to media. So they asked the guys about the fight and the guys answered the questions about the fight. So it's like, we didn't report what we saw. We just reported after the fact that there was a fight. So, uh, not really, you know, a parallel there to what's going on, but it's just, it's, it's the, uh, 
It's the sort of like, would you rather have access and not be able to report or no access at all? Obviously, the media would prefer to have as much access as possible and report everything. Um, but there's a lot of different, you know, varying degrees of access. Yeah, I think a lot of the questions that will follow in Clark Lee's press conferences afterwards will be based on what we yeah. saw in practice. Right. And I th that's how yeah, I'm going to go at it. Yeah. Yeah, you can ask him whatever you want at practice, you know, so. But bottom line, it's definitely good to be out there to watch old football. Yeah, we've joked. It's like, how did you feel about the 63-yard touchdown pass yeah. that Ken Seals threw to Amir Abdul-Rahman where he broke two tackles and somebody you know, tore an ACL on the play? How did you feel about that, Clark? I, I don't think it'll go that far, but that has been a little bit of a joke. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about what you saw just in terms of approach to practice, those sorts of things, just things that stood out to you from how the staff is managing the team. Well, like I said before, Chris, I was only half kidding. I, I really did not watch a ton of, I was there for like an hour and 15 minutes. Didn't watch a ton of, okay, that rep looked good. This rep didn't look at the organization of the practice and, and not to be all like, it's kind of weird because back when I was a sideline reporter, I used to be able to, you know, I had access to wherever I wanted to go. I'd walk, sit in the sidelines and, uh, and I could be a lot closer and, and follow it there where they have the media now where I guess the media has been for years is up in the balcony there. So the view isn't quite as good there. But, uh, you know, talking to people around the program, in the program and all that. And, and this is no surprise to anyone who's followed it since Clark Lee took over just the organization, the attention to detail, the messaging that's within the program. That's something that kind of stuck out to me. It's like the messaging with this with the players. And Clark Lee talks about that a lot. Um, when, when he does speak uh, to the media or does, you know, various interviews and podcasts is uh, the, the messaging. So it's, you know, as people will tell you in, in the program, outside the program, we'll all find out in three or four weeks once once the bullets start flying and how the guys react. But right now I can tell you, you know, from what I talked to and what I've seen is the players that are still in the program, obviously there's been a lot of turnover. Everyone is, you know, kind of buying what they're selling. Everyone's on the same page and all that. Again, you'll find out what happens when adversity hits. Um, but I, I feel there's a real feeling over there, in my opinion, that this, like everyone's kind of rowing in the right direction in, 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 in believing the message that Clark Lee and his staff are selling. Yeah. And you miss out on a lot of that stuff from where you are on the balcony in terms of the, the instruction and what was said and so that's one thing I do regret, too, is where we're positioned. You know, I sit there with binoculars and try to soak in as much as I can. And, of course, sometimes there may be something major going on, another part of practice that I'm missing because I'm doing that and trying to hone in on things. But Kim Seals said something really interesting in the podcast that we did Sunday night that aired Monday morning. He talked about how one thing that Clark focused on in practice was don't carry your old practice habits over from past years. Don't let the negativity, and I'm paraphrasing here, that comes with when you make a bad play and hanging your head or, or various things. I don't know exactly all the things he was talking about, but what he indicated in his words was basically that Clark is trying to, I think, rid the team of a lot of bad habits. And this is not to just blast Derek Mason. I know that a lot of times that's what happens when a coach leaves. Uh, you just pick everything that the other guy did apart. But, you know, let's face it, they, they did have seven losing seasons in a row. And so I'm sure a lot of that crept in. It had to. But I thought that was interesting the way that he phrased it in terms of trying to rid the team of a lot of bad habits in whatever regard uh, from the previous 
media staff. Yeah, I think that's clear. And I, I might be repeating myself here, but again, something I've heard from Clark Lee and all of the uh, times I've heard him speak is just trying to con- control the message internally. And, and like, it's easy right now in preseason camp because everything's positive and the attitudes are great, but don't let outside negativity creep into the program. And there's different levels of this at every program. It's not a Vanderbilt thing. It's a, it's like, look at the university of Georgia. I mean, unbel- I don't know why I p- picked them as an example, unbelievable program, but people think they haven't gotten it done. They haven't, you know, they haven't won a national title under Kirby smart. How can, how can they recruit that well and, and not win a title? So like every fan base, every program has its certain level. And then there's the negativity around that. And obviously the negativity around Vanderbilt's the fact that, uh, like you said, seven losing seasons in a row. You know, obviously there's some pockets of success there, but last year's team was not good. Uh, it ended on a bad note for Derek Mason. So Clark Lee is very big on like, we believe in Vanderbilt football. You know, you've heard him say at SEC media days and, God bless him for saying this. You know, he thinks Vanderbilt's the best job in the country. That's his message. That's the message he wants to his team. And he wants all the negativity, every other message, every podcast, radio interview out there who might mock that or look at Vanderbilt's job in, 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 or the, the, the program. He doesn't want his players to be a part of that. Now, that's not realistic. It was just It wasn't realistic 25 years ago with media newspapers and all that. It's definitely not realistic now with social media. So that's when I go back with the messaging. And that's just very, seemingly very, very important. And that kind of plays into what Ken Seals said that you were just talking about. Yeah. Sounds like a lot like another coach who was there not long ago. Yeah. Um, definitely about the, the, the messaging. Um, the thing, I, I don't mean to speak. I mean, I, the, James Franklin and Clark Lee have some similarities. They have a lot of differences too. I'll say that Clark Lee, like when when a coach is at a school, he is, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this too. This is like, you always say in college coaching, yeah, whenever there's a hot board or, you know, hot list of candidates, and I'm kind of going on a tangent here, it's like people are named on it because they went to that school or they, you know, they used to play at that school or they used to coach at that school. And said a lot of people say that's a bad reason to hire a coach. And I think in general, you don't hire a coach because he went to that school but I think in this case, it is clearly been and will continue to be an advantage. Like James Franklin, when he was here, and every coach believes in the school they're at. They wouldn't take the job if they didn't believe in the school for the most part. I mean, I've, sometimes you just take a job because you want to be a head coach. But, you know, James Franklin preached what the, the Vanderbilt message, the Vanderbilt mission while he was here. Clark Lee does the same thing. It just it feels and not, again, I'm not saying that James Franklin didn't believe it. It just feels so much more genuine because Clark Lee lived it and believes so much. Like talking to people over there, they are convinced they're going to win big. You know, I've heard a lot of coaches come through every sport and every coach has the same message and all that stuff. But talking to people, you can call them crazy. They're convinced they're going to win big. And Clark Lee really believes that. And I think part of that is his passion for, for, for the program that, that he lived through. So, um, Again, kind of going off on a tangent there and the whole thing about the idea about hiring someone like Clark Lee, I don't think was hired because he went to Vanderbilt. But in this case, it surely helped. Yeah, I get that sense from talking to some alums, the ones who are still connected. You've got a large pocket uh, of former donors and people like that that are just disengaged right now. And that has nothing to do with Clark. I, I think 
people are so skeptical about the school and the program on the whole. And again, I'm not making a commentary on what is going on. You just understand it because of the the history, of course. But the people who are engaged, I, I sense that vibe from a lot of those people. And I'll give you an example without relaying any conversations. I got this sense when Barton Simmons was standing up there amongst us, which, by the way, I don't ever remember more media and media types at a first practice or maybe at any practice that I've covered at Vanderbilt is just an aside. But I just got that sense from from Barton and watching him that he's like a kid in in a candy store out there with what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, Barton's clearly um, believes in Clark Lee and has been around Vanderbilt football basically his whole life, you know, because he's lived in Nashville and, you know, played at Yale, I think had an opportunity to, to, to walk on as a preferred walk on under Woody, uh, opted to go play at Yale. Uh, he knows, and I've heard him say it on podcasts, you know, he, despite the program's struggles, he has always believed you can win at Vanderbilt. I remember specifically he said in a podcast that he's talked to coaches who have won at Vanderbilt and coaches who have lost at Vanderbilt, not just head coaches. And they say, you can win there. Like, that's the message that Barton has or the, the feeling that he's had. And clearly now that he's on this staff, um, that is the message that, 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 I mean, he believes that. And he obviously believes in, in Clark Lee and believes in the staff that they have there. So uh, I'll tell you, internally, there is no doubt. The, there, there's not a, a doubt among that, that staff that they can get it done. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast is made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. And just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville. But he sees regular folks like you and I as well. And what people like about the experience is the ambiance. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. I went in and looked at it myself. That's exactly what it is. It is a relaxing, friendly environment. So whether your dental needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody. Call him at 615-270-2322. His office is located at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown Nashville, not far from the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player, a huge booster of Commodore Athletics. His support as the title sponsor for Season 7 is the reason we are able to do this podcast. Go see Dr. Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of the Vandy Sports Podcast and tell him you heard about it here. It's not like Barton was sitting out there about to get let go from 24-7 and, you know, just caught the first bridge with a friend. I mean, Barton could have done, I'm sure, a lot of things. And Barton knows the warts. It's like watching high school football prospects, right? It seems like it's easier to recruit the same type of kid from Texas or somewhere like that than it is from Nashville because the kids see the warts. They see the stadiums where the fans get outnumbered. They see the waffling by the administration and all the criticisms we could bring up. In a way, a guy like that who takes that job, being so close to it and knowing all the warts, does seem to be a bit of a validation that's probably strong because nothing's happened yet, but I think you get what I'm saying here. Yeah, no, I mean, I think he, he would not have taken the job if he didn't believe that that staff had every, you know, uh, the, the full support of the administration and he, he believes in what the school is doing right now. So 
um, you know, I don't think he would be here if that was not the case. Anything else that caught your eye with how they ran practice? Again, we're not really permitted to talk about individual observations. And frankly, I don't put a ton of stock into those the first couple of practices. I do look at the freshmen and try to make a determination of who's got talent, uh, guys that maybe are getting reps with the second team, something like that, if that happens. But just my thing was watching the pace of practice, the pace at which they went from one drill to the next, really just the, I'm not going to say the few mistakes. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but like they weren't getting lined up for plays and and you didn't have the whole sideline screaming, uh, you're out of position or, you know, you need to be there or you're in the game or you're out of the game. Like sometimes you saw that with the old staff. It just felt to me like they were organized and the kids had a pretty good idea of what to expect and what to do drilled into them already. Again, that doesn't mean there aren't mistakes in practices and everything. It is the first practice, but it felt to me like they had command of the situation. Yeah. I mean, you would, you would expect that. And they've been through a fall, uh, a spring practice as well. And you know, the, the, the goals in fall and spring are different, but the organization of practice is pretty much the same. And, and, you know, all these coaches have been around, you know, Clark Lee's been around, a lot of different coaches. So I'm sure he's taking different parts of each coach he's worked with and stuff. So I, you know, I, I've been to a lot of practice. I never, you know, each coach has different ways. Some are more rah, rah, some aren't, um, some are more business-like, you know, every college staff knows how to run a practice. I mean, I, I'd have to go back for, for some Derek Mason's faults. I never got the impression that like their practices weren't organized or anything. Um, so, you know, one thing that was interesting, and I, I left, I didn't see the end of practice, but, you know, for all of uh, Clark's positivity, and I talked to some people practicing, he's he's a nice guy and all this, but he is not afraid to uh, light a fire under that team. And evidently after I left, he was uh, cussing out the team and or, and then and spoke to the media afterwards how there's a lot of things he did not like. So it's not all, uh, not all uh, like, everything's great. I love all these kids. We're doing everything great. Uh, obviously not afraid to get on these guys. You ready for some mailbag questions? Sure. Today's mailbag is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call. That number, 615-846-6200. They can tell you your rights and if they can help. Bobby Two Times says, what are you most looking forward to with the new football season outside of winning? Um, just... Kind of the energy of the new staff. I think that's always, no matter the sport, there's always, uh, it, it's it's fun to see the, the, the new energy and, and guys being brought in, bought in, which we, we've already talked about. And, uh, you know, I, look, looking forward to seeing, just from a personnel standpoint, the offense. I think the offense has a chance to be decent. Uh, I think the wide receiver group is, is, is pretty solid. Uh, that's no secret there that it has the chance to be the best unit on the team. Obviously the running back depth is, is very wor- worrisome, but if, if Davis can stay healthy, I think he can be a productive back there. And the offensive line, you know, through last year's opt outs and stuff, developed some depth there. So, uh, you know, I just interested to see that the, the scheme with David Rye, you know, his, his very background, what they're going to do in the quarterback situation. You know, I think we all think Ken Seal is going to start, but they, they like Mike Wright a lot. I think there'll be a role for him. So I think from a football standpoint and a personnel standpoint, there's some storylines to watch and um, just, yes, yeah, so I, I think that the, the, the big, the big picture answer would be just kind of the, the energy and the new staff uh, is it's, you know, it's just something, it's, it's something new. It's different. And even like, 
uh, like I said, in any sport, whenever there's, there's a new, there's a new staff, there's always a new energy. Obviously we'd love, we, we love the consistent energy of, of Tim Corbin's staff here for 20 years, whatever it is. Not like we want to see a new energy in that program, but you know what I'm getting at. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that is a young staff too. Ken Seals had mentioned that in our podcast. It hadn't really occurred to me till he said it, but yeah, I mean, that's a really young staff, I think. Yeah. I mean, the coordinators are, are, are relatively young. Um, I'm trying to think who is who would be the uh, who would be the oldest assistant on that staff. Uh, Blazik. Really? I mean, he's well, not, is he... I, I don't know. I'm 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 not. The names aren't coming to me like of of all the coaches and who's in what spot like they are on most staffs. But um, the strength and conditioning coach, I, I think, yeah. um, may may be the one. Yeah. No. He. Yeah. He's definitely the oldest. From the position coaches, you know, it could be Blazik. You're right. That. That'd be. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not. Don't. Don't think like there's a bunch of twenty somethings running around out there. But it's certainly not like. Like I remember Bobby Johnson's staff. They had some some older guys. Robbie called. I mean, I, I guess they weren't that old then. But yeah. I mean, I think in terms of youth, this is probably the youngest staff. That I remember covering, maybe I, maybe if I gave yeah. that some thought, I would disagree. But it just seems first blush like it's younger in terms of average age than most that 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 they've had. That. Yeah, I would agree with that. Colombiano Door says in a recent interview, David Rye mentioned a pro style but spread offense with pre snap motion. Does the style of offense they'll run remind you of any existing team out there? And have you gotten other tidbits about the scheme you'd like to share? Uh, no other tidbits. I think I probably heard that same interview he did. Um, you know, I, I would say, you know, he's coming, like he mentioned that he's, there'll be some Iowa power football principles. You know, he played at Iowa and then there'll be some Cliff Kingsbury spread principles. So you, you can't get more varied than that. So I think it's gonna, you know, th- there's a lot of different offenses in football, but there's also, a lot of similarities too. a lot of it's just like, you know, just different formations. And so uh, there's nothing that comes to mind, like what, it, what it'll remind me of, because again, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but um, um, I, that's part of, that's my earlier answer. That's one of the things I'm looking forward to seeing is, is how, how diverse that offense can be. I, I thought a little bit of a tangent here too, that I always thought Bobby Johnson early in his staff, I know the, um, who was the offense court? Bobby Johnson's first offensive coordinator. Um, oh, um, Fow- not Fowler. Fowler was their defensive coordinator. Yeah. Um, uh, I can Ted sure. Kane, of course. Ted Kane, yeah, I mean, I know Ted Kane wasn't the most popular with a lot of Vanderbilt fans, but I thought Bobby Johnson always did a good job of playing to his quarterback strengths and, you know, kind of ran the option with Cutler earlier in his career when the, the talent was around them and then started throwing the ball. Um, I thought they showed a lot of uh, variety with their offense pointing to the offensive strengths. Now offensive football has developed a lot um, in the past decade, decade, 15 years since then. There's so many more things that teams are doing there. So I, I think it'll be innovative, fun to watch. And like I said, with a pretty good group of pass catchers in a thin backfield, I think they'll, they'll take advantage of, uh, of that a lot and throw the ball a lot. This is the second of four questions from Colombiano Door. How will Ken Seals play differently under this coach? Or how uh, will his play differ? I guess it's the same thing. Well, I don't know. Play di- I just think more experience. I mean, Ken Seals had a very good year last year and was very, uh, for a true freshman under adverse circumstances, was very good. But I think obviously the the, re- the red zone interceptions th- were were the problem. And I would, if he had the same staff coming back, I would suspect he would have improved a lot there, gained more experience. I'm sure that's something they're working on a lot there. 
So I think you'll just see a a a guy who cuts down on his mistakes and and hopefully doesn't throw as many interceptions. Um, so you know, I think we we all think Ken Seals is a pretty good quarterback, and I think he'll take a step in in year two. Yeah, and again, if people didn't hear the pod that I did with him Sunday night, that's what he said too. His answer was, I think that ball security is a thing I can improve on, and the coaches are working with me with that a lot. So I I think that would be how he'd answer the question. The next one, what are your thoughts on the running back situation? Um, Got to keep uh, Ramon. Is it Raymond? Raymond Davis? Yeah, got to keep him healthy uh, because from there, healthy. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember what year was it towards the end of the year, not the beginning of the year, Bobby Johnson's second or third year where they had the walk-on uh, running back playing, starting against Tennessee. They were so thin that year. Jason, um, Was that Jason Bork? Or, yes, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. the reason you can't recruit enough running backs usually, you know, and, and it's just no cert, it's no fault of the staff. It's just the, the situation they're in right now, unfortunately, that Davis did transfer in. Um, I think he can be a productive SEC running back, but they've got to keep him healthy. Um, but I, I think I heard good, heard good things about Patrick Smith and when he was recruited, seemed to be a little under recruited, um, you know, was heading to Colorado state before committing to Vanderbilt. So he's a guy that's going to have to play as a true freshman. Um, and I think he will play. So they've got three guys. I think that they, you know, between Rocco Griffin, Patrick Smith and, and Davis, and obviously Griffin didn't play much last year and Smith's a true freshman. So, uh, depth will definitely be an issue there. Okay, the next one, could you foresee any scenario in which SEC newcomers find some additional votes to replace Fandy with another school? I don't see it, but curious why this keeps getting brought up. Well, he just brought it up, so that's why. (laughs) Um, No, it's not going to happen. No, you're right. The other schools are not going to vote to kick them out of the league. Right. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. I mean, first of all, SEC cares about baseball. Vanderbilt's good in most sports. And it's just not that this is a, not that, that that academics and this type of stuff are, are guiding decisions made by conferences because money is, but it's it's just an extremely bad look to kick out by far the the best academic school because their football team has you know gone through a six or seven year lull. I mean, this is a team that won eighteen. It's a program that won eighteen games in a two-year stretch so it's not like it can't be done i mean the only time what temple got kicked out of the big east and that's i think the only time pretty much a, a league I mean, somebody I, got did someone get I, kicked out of the mac uh no i don't think so idaho and new mexico state got kicked out of the Sun Belt. okay um but i think idaho new mexico state and temple aren't quite in the same academic sphere as as vanderbilt is yeah, and look, it's not like the league is thrilled with the way that they have handled their business and a lot of things. We're not saying that at all. Um, the criticisms are valid for all the reasons that you could think of, and I do think what I have been told is the league is putting pressure on them in terms of softball and volleyball because those, I think, are, are big TV events for the league at times, and they want Vanderbilt, from what I understand, uh, they want their offerings to match their TV draw. So I, I don't think it's like everybody in the league and the commissioner sitting there going, yeah, we're great with Vanderbilt and the way they've handled their business. I think everybody knows what the the flaws and where they've lacked are, but I don't think – I mean, that and we're going to kick you out of the league are two completely different conversations. I think the SEC is probably takes a lot of pride in Vanderbilt being a member for a lot of reasons as well. 
Well, the thing that I have said, and I believe I've said this on my board, so excuse me for repeating here, that presidents like having them in the league from the standpoint of they like the road trip, they like to bring their big donors along, they like to make a lot of their asks in Nashville from what I've been told. So there's stuff that I think that goes with Vanderbilt that you might not think of from a university standpoint that helps them out in this situation. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how many times I'm going to say it. it's not going to happen. SR Kane says, give us a few things to look out for in the SEC this year. Oh. Um, Switch gears on you there, Mitch. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just, I mean, it, there's just so much. Al- Alabama will be good. Yeah, there's just so much intrigue every year, like in the SEC. It's just, you, just, you don't know what the storylines are going to be. Um, there's so many new staffs every year. Um, I, I think this is uh, interesting to see Texas A&M, which was kind of on the verge of, you know, knocking on the playoff door. You can debate their argument last year, if they had a sound argument or not, um, to, to, to get in. But without Kellen Mond, can they take the next step? I mean, from a roster talent standpoint, they're, they're almost as good as it gets right behind Alabama. Uh, Florida quarterback situation to me is really interesting because – Dan Mullen has always, for the most part, always been able to coax really good quarterback play out of anybody. He's had, you know, Mississippi State turn Kyle Trask into uh, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. This year it looks like it's going to be Emory Jones, a guy who's a great athlete. He's got a good arm, but just, in, you know, hasn't done it yet. Um, can Georgia reassert its its dominance? You got, you know, Kentucky, which seems to be building more of a program, quote-unquote program every year where they can – survive losses, uh, personnel losses, but their offense has been, you know, they hired a new coordinator to kind of reintroduce the forward pass there. You know, obviously can LSU bounce back? Was that just a kind of a, a one-year aberration there? Um, so, uh, you know, this, Arkansas is an interesting story to me. They, they got all the pub, all the hype last year, early in the season, and rightfully so. But then when you, you know, what they finished last year, when you, when, when they, Oh, they won what two or three? I mean, it wasn't. I think really it was more of a more of a shocking and how competitive they were yeah, than the, was, than the wins. Yeah, right. Three and seven. So you know, if but if you just went back and looked at the the type of coverage each team got last year, and I'm not knocking Arkansas, they deserved it. Sam Pittman did a great job. You would probably think Arkansas went six and four, seven and three, not three and seven. So it's easier to go from really, really, really uncompetitive. Uh, against with with a, a coach who gets fired to taking that jump up in year one, taking that next step. Can they do that? Now, I always said last year that like their roster was not without talent. They recruited well, Chad Morris. So like Sam Pittman had a lot more talent than most coach. Like if you look at all the Power Five co- coaches who've taken over a program that went zero winless or one win, I'd say Arkansas probably had more talent than anyone in the past 20 years in that circumstance if it's happened a lot. Um, so I guess my point is, can, can they continue that or is that kind of the level they're at right now? And until they start recruiting better, then they can start being relevant in the SEC West. So kind of my rambling answer there, you can find an intriguing storyline with every team. Yeah, you can. And I think the three that I think of, and you hit on most of this in one form or fashion, to me, number one is what is the real LSU Number two would be, is JT Daniels what everybody thinks he is, and, and how is Georgia going to use him? I mean, Kirby Smart has always been a little behind, I don't know if behind the times, however I want to put it in terms of his offense. 
uh, maybe a little lacking in creativity and, and moving into the modern day of football compared to some other coaches, which happens with defense first guys. And then just Florida, they lost a ton of guys on offense. Um, what, three first rounders or, or two first rounders? I can't remember. Was Trask a first rounder or a second rounder? Um, don't think he was a first rounder. Yeah, in any case, I mean, a really great quarterback and two game-changing, you know, a game-changing wide receiver and, and tight end. Uh, and they've had some chemistry issues there at Florida under under Mullen, um, which, I mean, it happened before him too. But to, to me, I guess if you said, give me three that pop off the page more than the rest, Texas A&M would be in there too. And whether they can become that college football playoff level team that they're right on the verge of being, to me, those are the ones that really, I would say, stand out above the pack. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, again, there's you can – you can find uh, storylines in you know this in my previous life is at Athlon. That's what all we did all off season storylines, preview, 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 and it's just like once the season starts, like you just throw out everything you thought, and then weird the new storylines emerge there. So um, that's why it's got the longest off season, and college football is the most anticipated season always because of that. Last question from Door King: What's next for Kumar Rocker? Don't know. Um, I mean, it's, you know, I don't think his camp is talking. I don't think any, anyone's really talking. So I have not heard anything new. Um, so I, I mean, I, I, anyone listening to this knows, knows the deal. So it's not like we need to rehash what's happened. So I, I really don't know. Nothing is leaking out anywhere. Yeah. And, you know, that's, I don't know if it's by design, whatever. If there's no one knows anything. Kumar probably hasn't decided yet. And, you know, um, I guess does him no advantage. You know, it's not like he's been here. I, you know, Tim Corbin's traveling. So it's not like they're all together um, in the offices and stuff like that. So I'm sure at some point, relatively soon, Kumar will make a decision what's next for him. But uh, nobody knows. Mitch, that's all I've got today. Any parting thoughts before we end the show? Uh, not really. Just... Uh, you know, looking forward to uh, uh, camp progressing and, uh, you know, not just here, but but everywhere. And, and uh, so far, knock on wood, everywhere. You, we haven't seen the bait. I don't know, unless I missed something. We haven't seen the big uh, the, the tweet about player X, you know, was carted off the field. You know, that's what you hate about this time. I always say if there's any big news out of your program in these few weeks, it's usually it's not that so and so is looking good in camp. It's that someone got hurt. So you always hope for for very. Uh, very little news, actually, uh, from from these camps. Well, you did have the LSU fixing accident, fishing accident with its potential starting quarterback. Yeah, no, actually, that's that that was not good. Obviously, that was early in camp there too. There, so um, I guess to and and I usually pay attention to all this stuff, but that's the most significant pre uh, camp injury so far. But again, most most teams haven't practiced more than three or four times. Mitch sounds like the train's leaving the station where you are, so I'll let it. Uh, I'll give it over to you to, to close. Give us your Twitter handle, anything to promote that you guys are doing. The athletic, the floor is yours as we end the show. Yeah, we've got we've got a um, train. It's probably about a quarter of a mile, and depending on the wind and you know whatever time of day you can hear. I used to when we first moved here, it comes through about three or four in the morning, and it used to really annoy me, but I got used to it pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, uh, at, at Mitch Lights, my Twitter handle, and uh, yeah, Joe Rexford will have uh, some, some some Vanderbilt coverage throughout. I wrote a column last week uh, on Vanderbilt, probably you know a story or two a week, but you know Joe obviously covers the the entire 
uh, Nashville landscape there. So, uh, but great college football coverage, not, you know, not just SEC around, around the country at the athletic, uh, dot com. So that's about it. Mitch, thanks for joining us. We'll catch you again soon. All right. Sounds good, Chris. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, vandysports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at vandysports.com. Follow me at chrislee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.